Judges chapter 2, so if you would turn there, and then uh, after this, um, I'll make some comments, and we'll end up over in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Um, as you're turning there, getting ready, um, I, this, uh, today, this morning, I was, um, I, I heard that, uh, as some of you guys know, I just retired from uh, my job. Retired. I want to make sure you, you understand retired, not me. Not the other word. I just retired, and uh, but I heard I got news this morning that one of our young airmen, a uh, young kid, probably in 21 years old or so, uh, in training, uh, final phase of his training uh, as an air traffic controller. And uh, uh, this past Sunday, he went uh, for a drive or a ride on his motorcycle over at East Canyon. Uh, some of you guys know where that is. He uh, got into a motorcycle accident, and unfortunately, uh, tragic. He didn't make it. He died um, that day. A young young man, <clears throat> promising career, and it just reminded me again. Um, every time something like this happens, I, I remember some. I think some of the incidents like this that has happened over the years in our area, where young people uh, seemingly, you know, have the rest of their lives ahead of them, and uh, they're they, they have many years, you know, uh, to get before that retirement age. And, uh, uh, but it's a reminder uh, to us that tomorrow is not promised to any one of us. Uh, God does not promise us tomorrow. And tomorrow uh, we can pass on the eternity. So if you're not here, if you're here tonight, uh, I know most of you, uh, I know your testimony, at least from the outside. If, you, if you're here tonight, and uh, you do not know, you're struggling with this issue about knowing Christ as your Savior. You don't know if you were to die today, whether you're going to spend eternity in heaven or in hell. You really should seriously think about that because you might be thinking to yourself, well, you know what, I'll just wait till tomorrow. Uh, you know, I'm, I just, I, I just not ready yet. <clears throat> think about it. Uh, because this young man certainly didn't know that he was uh, going to. Uh, face eternity on Sunday uh, afternoon or whatever time that was. He was just out for a ride on, on his motorcycle, probably looking, you know, at the colors out there in the backcountry and things like that. And he didn't make it. And then um, yesterday, his family members from I don't know where he's from, uh, his family, his mom and dad and <clears throat> sister, uh, they flew in for a memorial that we're going to have for him this Friday. I'm sure in the minds of his parents, man, you know, I'm proud of my son. He's going to be an aircraft controller, uh, a job that requires a lot of discipline and all of that. Um, they weren't expecting their son to, they weren't expecting to come this week to be in a memorial for him. Um, so I just wanted to remind you that because I've heard of people in churches, certainly I've seen them in, when we were over, overseas, people we knew who uh, serving the Lord uh, faithfully, and uh, but uh, it turns out uh, by their own admission they weren't saved, and they dealt with that for a long time. They do, uh, they didn't want to tell anybody, they would just rather tell, you know, 
let people on uh, rather than face the embarrassment of telling them I'm not really safe and I need to be safe. But fortunately, uh, the one that comes to my mind, they, um, they recognized that, publicly confessed it, and received Christ as their Savior. So if you're here tonight, you don't know Christ as your Savior, you really should think about it. You should really make that decision tonight before you walk out that door, because tomorrow is not promised to you. So the message is not on that tonight, but uh, you know, you really don't think about them until it hits closer to home. I know he's not, this young man's not a member of my family, but I saw him uh, every day, uh, practically. Uh, he came to my, you know, little short retirement ceremony. Uh, I, I can, I, I still, it's still actually in my mind. I was looking at his name tag as I passed by him, and uh, uh, today he's gone. He's gone. And that could be any one of us. All right, so um, we'll get to the message here. We are in Judges chapter 2. Um, you know, one of the things about not preaching all the time is you don't know how long your message is going to be, how short it's going to be. It could be 10 minutes. It could be long. Uh, Sam, you know pastor's rule, right? If we go over a certain time up here preaching, then uh, we just uh, pray uh, together in, this in, in, in the church. Right. Um, all right. So we'll. Um, I want to read Joshua or Judges chapter two, <clears throat> and then uh, and then we'll go to Deuteronomy uh, after this. All right. <clears throat> Joshua chapter two. We'll start in verse six and we'll read through verse thirteen. Um, and when Joshua had left the people, had let the people uh, go. The children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old, and they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnatheris, in the Mount of Ephraim. And on, on, on the north side of the hill of Gaesh. And also that generation were gathered unto their fathers. And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Baal. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and forbid the Lord to anger. And they did, and they forsook the Lord and served Baal uh, and Ashtoreth. Um, the message tonight, the title of the message tonight is found uh, there in verse 10, um, which knew not the Lord. They knew not the Lord. That's the title of the message. They knew not uh, the Lord. <clears throat> so tonight's uh, passage here, Paints a pretty sad picture of the nation of Israel. And if you read Judges, uh, you know what I'm talking about there. The nation of Israel had just marched into the promised land and they are settling into uh, the land. And it wasn't a complete victory because when they went in, they didn't always follow uh, God's desire. And instead of conquering all of it, they settled into some of it. 
beginning in verse 6 here, Joshua dismissed the people who possessed the land, and we're told that the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, uh, in the days of, and in the days that all the elders that outlived Joshua. This generation had seen all the great works of the Lord and all that he did for Israel. Joshua died, and then this generation died. We are then told in verse 10 that the new generation that arose after Joshua and the other generation knew not the Lord, nor the works that God has done for them. And subsequently, what we see here is that this generation went on to do evil in God's sight. They forsook God, uh, the God of their fathers, <clears throat> and ultimately served the God of the Canaanites. They, these people, they intermarried with the Canaanites, something that God had warned about uh, before. And then <clears throat> in doing so, that led uh, not only to the tolerance of idolatry amongst them, but they participated in that idolatry, <clears throat> so we're gonna uh, we're gonna talk about this a little bit more tonight. I hope to challenge uh, the parents today, and if, even if you're not a parent and you're a parent to be uh, down the future uh, in the future, and uh, hopefully the the lesson tonight will be a challenge to us. Let's pray, and then uh, I'll pick up from where I left off. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for uh, your word. Thank you for. The, the stories that we can read. We know that uh, we, uh, for one, you've written it a four times for our learning. And I pray and trust that tonight, as we read and look at this passage, uh, these passages of scripture, that we will learn and we'd be challenged, Lord, especially as parents today, to be diligent in uh, teaching our young people so that they would not be amongst the people that are the generation that is mentioned here. Do not the Lord. Help me, Lord, as I. I, uh, I give the message tonight, and uh, I pray that uh, your your name would be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so, it seems that it's impossible that the very next generation, after the generation that Joshua uh, had led, would not know God and not know about what God had done uh, for, for them in the past. And some said... Someone once said, the first generation is holy, the second generation is religious, and then the third generation is godless. The, this adage uh, describes the spiritual history of the people of God in the Old Testament. And I dare even say that it is uh, something that we see in our day uh, today. So uh, what we see in... Uh, <clears throat> In the, in, in the passage uh, in, in Judges, we see a cycle of success and failure, uh, particularly uh, in, in the Old Testament. Uh, and here in the book of Josh, uh, Judges, we see the first generation is marked by growth, and then the second uh, by entrenchment, and the third marked by decline. Uh, this pattern is not limited to the Old Testament, uh, and we can observe it in the New Testament uh, churches as well. We see that today in our churches. Uh, what we see in godless society, young people not knowing the Lord has infiltrated uh, the churches 
uh, today. We see young people coming to church. Yes, they come to church, but they know not God. <clears throat> Institutions today, like universities, public schools, and even in the military, uh, it's amazing over the years. I, I, I got in the military back in 1983, late 83. And then, you know, after I retired from there, I started working uh, for the Air Force as a civilian. What a change that has gone on in the past, I would say just even in the past five years, the drastic change, uh, the culture change uh, that has hit even in, uh, in the institution of the military. And churches can and do slide into mediocrity as well. Uh, we see it all around us in churches. People are departing from the faith of their parents. And in the case of the public and other institutions, there's a departure from the principle of our forefathers. There's no doubt that there are some godly faithful men and women in the generation before us, our generation and the next, who live, who love the Lord, and their lives show it. But as churches in general and as a whole in America, I'm not exactly sure which phase our generation uh, and the next is in, the religious or the godless. If I had to go on a limb, I would say that a great majority is likely vacillating between somewhere, somewhere between the religious and the godless. <clears throat> so this evening, I wanna, I wanna challenge us tonight, and this is not just for parents who have young children, but it's all of us, grandparents, young uh, couples without children yet. I don't believe that this account of the new generation that rose up not knowing God happened overnight. <clears throat> what caused the children and the grandchildren to lose the faith and conviction of the parents if they have it, if they ever had it all. There could be many factors, but I don't happen to believe that this generation who knew not the Lord had no knowledge of God whatsoever. That would seem hard to believe that they had no knowledge of God whatsoever, but that's possible. Or that they were completely oblivious to the fact and existence of God. The word new, K-N-E-W, means to have knowledge. Yes, but it also means to acknowledge, to recognize, or to accept. Whether this generation was brought up without being taught about God at all, or they simply didn't want to acknowledge God in their life, or their lives is not really the point here that I'm making tonight, because the outcome was the same. My point is simply to remind us that we're in a battleground. I know the, 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 our, the, the war supposedly in the desert is over. We had a, a battleground there in, the, in Afghanistan, the Middle East, uh, in the desert. But we still have conflicts all around the world where we have military people uh, deployed all over, including Africa, parts of Africa. <clears throat> but the battle may not be there, battleground is not there, the battleground is in our home. And instead of the freedoms or the land being at stake, it's our children who are at stake. If we're going to prevent the next generation from falling into apostasy, as the generation we read about in this passage, then we need to wake up as 
parents. Um, it's easy to become complacent where we are. It's easy to go through our routine. We take our kids, we go to church, they go to Sunday school, they go to uh, junior church, uh, they go to Christian school, and then we go home and go about our business. Sometimes we're oblivious to what's going on outside of our home and outside of our churches. I know that uh, people here are aware of what's going on in our society and our culture today. You know, uh, you're very well aware, uh, thanks to social media, the news, and all of that, of what's going on in our culture. Once Joshua and the generation after him passed away, the new generation turned her back on God, as the passage says, and, it, and did evil in the sight and followed after false gods. And to, tonight, uh, today, they don't wait. Young people don't wait until mom and dad pass away before they fall away uh, from the teaching uh, that they were brought up with. And many young people are growing up not knowing the truth of God, let alone embrace it. They have no biblical uh, worldview, just a worldly worldview, worldly view. They're worshiping the things of this world like entertainment, fashion, pleasure, and embracing the philosophies of this world. We've all heard the term transgenderism, wokeism, social justice, and all of this. Um, this is what's it, infiltrating our society today. And it's not just the society outside of our church, but it is hitting our churches as well. And I use the term churches loosely. <clears throat> in, in our passage, rather than separating from the pagan and heathen lifestyle around them, what they did was they conformed to the wicked culture and worshiped false gods. You know, as I speak about this, do you not see this happening in, with our young children who are growing up in, in churches today? They are leaving the faith, so-called, and, and they are embracing the things of this culture, what is going on today. And so there, there's all these things that are hitting us from every angle. How do you battle that? I know Pastor is talking about a lot of these, uh, already have talked about it, and is talking about these. In our passage, as I said, these, this generation, instead of separating from the pagan uh, uh, culture, they were embracing it. Uh, they embraced the heathen lifestyle around them. And they were uh, worshiping false, the false gods around them. They were influenced by the society. Think about this. They were influenced by the society back then. I wonder how much worse it is for our younger people today with all of the platforms that are available today, social media and all of that. The exposure. Uh, perhaps, I don't know, perhaps what we're seeing today is, can be attributed uh, to the explosion of social media, the access to social media. I mean, how else do you explain some of these? And I, I've talked to Master about this. I believe that, you know, obviously this is the work of the devil. He's orchestrating whatever we're seeing today. He's orchestrating it. Um, but I would have to think that social media has a, a large uh, part in the philosophies that are infiltrating the mind of young people uh, today. 
And so I don't have uh, to convince you that this is happening today. Um, the very ones who are called to be separated in God instead love the world system. And we're incorporating that world philosophy into our homes, our churches, and in our lives. In the election in 2020, if the election 2020 was a reflection of all what our views are as society and, uh, and culture, then that should tell us something. Um, how do you vote for the philosophies that Biden upholds and defends? How do you vote for that if you had a biblical grounding uh, at all? The statistics, uh, just some statistics I was looking up today, about 55% of young voters, 18 to 29 years old, uh, were up 11% from the previous presidential election. And that resulted in Biden uh, presidency, among other things. And 60% uh, of the voters under 30 years old, again, voted for Biden. So, and, and then you have to look at what's the mindset of, the young, of those young people? Why are they voting the way that they voted? What are some of the reasons? I'm not gonna get into that uh, tonight, but <clears throat> that's interesting that there are more younger voters now that are voting but their mindset, their worldview, is far from that of what the Bible has for us. And that number, that voter block is growing. What does that tell us? How are they gonna vote next time? Where does that take our society next time? <clears throat> Why did the new generation not know God or the things he had done for Israel? So let's, that takes us over to Genesis or Deuteronomy. If you'll turn over to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let me read verses 1 through um, uh, to 7. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgment which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land whither you go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord. Uh, thy God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's sons, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that he may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words, which I command thee this day, shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt take them, when thou sit, uh, talk, and shalt talk of them, when thou sittest in thy house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest, and when thou risest up. <clears throat> this command is to teach the children uh, this command to teach the children was given to the Israelites collectively, but to parents specifically. I don't believe that this generation had zero knowledge, no knowledge of God at all. In the sense that they were oblivious to, to him, like, you know, 
God, who's that? <clears throat> uh, perhaps I could be wrong. But again, the outcome is the same here. If they were taught um, what happened, if they were going to church, uh, I know it wasn't a church back then, but if they're in our day, if they were going to church, what happened? Why did they depart from the Lord? Why did they not know God? So either they weren't taught, again, you know, hard to believe that they weren't taught, or the other is they didn't embrace God. Why do they not embrace God? <clears throat> Somewhere along the way, there was a failure to teach them about God in a way that God intended for parents to uh, for parents to teach them. There was a failure to teach and impart biblical truth to the next generation. Consequently, and when I say uh, uh, I'll, I'll talk more a little bit about this uh, later. Uh, when I say failure to teach or impart biblical truth. Consequently, they turned their back on God and they integrated themselves into the culture around them. And that was precisely what God had warned them about. So it's the, it's the parent's responsibility to teach your children. Look over in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7. It says, again, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them. When thou sittest in thy house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. First, parents, we are responsible for teaching our children about God. We are. Parents are. Notice it says, thou shalt teach them diligently. All parents have the responsibility to teach their children to love and to fear the Lord. I know it's difficult as parents. Uh, to do this with consistency and to do it diligently. The passing on of our conviction and our, our faith to our children and grandchildren is not easy. Sometimes we feel like we're failing and we want to give up. But we can't give up. We can't give up. It's a daunting and challenging task for any parent. Nonetheless, we have that responsibility. We are in a position to impart uh, the, the teaching of God's word, uh, in, in, to impart it on the, in the heart of uh, our young children. Moral and biblical education of children was done best, and when we read this, not in a formal uh, teaching or setting during a period of each day, but it was parents or uh, out of concern for their own lives and the lives of young children, made God and his word the, like a, a natural topic of conversation anywhere at any time, all the time. We can't abdicate this responsibility. We can't relinquish the responsibility, praise the Lord, for our, our church uh, uh, and the ministries that we have, the role that it plays in, in, in teaching our children about God and his truth. Sunday school and junior uh, church teachers have prepared lessons for my kids when they were younger and yours now. Um, and are continuing to prepare lessons to help impart God's word to the younger ones in our church today. But parents, we can't simply be satisfied with the teaching that they received in these ministries. And I, I think growing up in a church, you know, and, and talking with some people in the past, they thought, you know, hey, we were going to, you know, we're going to send our kids to a Christian school and they go to 
junior church and Sunday school and they thought that, that was enough. <clears throat> but we are responsible, primarily responsible for teaching them, not the Sunday school teachers or the Christian school. It's our responsibility. I don't mean that in, in, in a bad way. Again, our churches, thank God, our, our ministries, they're a part of helping us to learn and grow our young people. But the responsibility is thou, you. <clears throat> Praise the Lord, many, if not all parents, are doing this right now. As I look in our audience, in our, in our congregation, you're doing that. A great majority today is not just looking at where our young people are today. People are, were in churches. If any of you, if there's anyone who's not that's in here, uh, we're doing it consistently, you've got to take it seriously as parents with young children. You're molding the mind of young kids. I said earlier that, you know, it's not just mentioning, you know, the, the young people. I, I, I look on Facebook, I, I read some, some, some forums and things like this, and I see these kids that grew up in churches, and, I, and they departed, and I'm wondering what, what went wrong? What, I think part of it, you know, a lot of times we we forget that we have to teach our kids so that the Word of God, uh, they embrace the Word of God for themselves. It's not just their parents' beliefs, set of beliefs, and uh, you know, when they get exposed out into society, those beliefs are superficial, and then when they hear somebody who talks intelligently, uh, somebody who may uh, seem credible but ungodly they listen to them and then they fall away from what they've been taught and they 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 were grounded in the word of God they they I'm not talking about you know our children uh, you know they fall and they sin but they come back they know what they've done wrong and and they know hey I know the word of God this is the truth this is what uh, I need to base my life on. I need to allow the word of God to govern my life. I think we have to get to that point where we're teaching our kids the values that we're teaching and the philosophies that we're teaching through the, uh, uh, the word of God. They have to, those have to become their own set of values that they live by, that they are governed by instead of ours. So that someday, you know, when they turn 18 or they go to college, whatever they may be doing, they again, they get exposed to the world and they, they say, oh, I'm not. They're easily conformed to the world. <clears throat> I know Pastor, I think just a few weeks ago, he's been talking about, you know, training kids, family devotion and things like that. He provided us some, some practical things to be able to 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 do um, in our own home with our young people, and again looking around with fam at families that have young kids, I believe that you're doing that. Um, but again, as you're doing the devotion, 
you, you should really aim for making, you know, the goal should be that those kids are taking those things that we're teaching, that you're teaching, and they're, that, they're hiding that in their heart, and that becomes their set of values, their set of philosophies, not just yours. <clears throat> Failure to nurture children in the faith is a recipe for those children to grow up not knowing God, and consequently, our children will fall to conforming into our culture. And that's going to require some time. You need to talk to your children, not just <clears throat> during devotion, as we read earlier in a verse in Deuteronomy, not just during devotion, you need to incorporate principles of God's word in every aspect of their lives. Let me read that verse again, verse seven. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. This will require some time. I, uh, I, I read, I don't know if I read it, um, I think it was just an anecdote, a, a, a kind of an illustration. I don't know where I got, I heard it from, but I, I remember it. And um, something like this, that a, a man, uh, you know, a successful man uh, was coming home from work, busy man with the family, coming home from work. And when he came home, you know, he didn't really have much time with his kids. And one of the kids went up to him and Asked him, Daddy, how, how much do you make an hour? And the daddy, dad goes, why? What, why do you need to know that? You don't need to know that. And the kid said, well, I just want to know. And the father says, you don't need to know that. And then he went on his way. <clears throat> and the kid went to his room, in his bedroom. And after some time, the dad had thought about it. He said, you know, maybe I was a little harsh on the kids. It's not a big deal that he knows how much I make. So he went to his room and to the kids' room and said, son, sorry for being harsh, but I make $50 an hour. And so the son says, great, can I borrow $50? He says, why do you need $50? Why, why do you need to borrow $50? He says, well, daddy, can I just borrow it? And then they, this went on for some time. And the dad says, all right, I'll give you $50, son. And the kid was overjoyed. He lifted up his pillow and he grabbed some money underneath his pillow. And he started counting how much money he had in there. And then the dad goes, you already have money. What do you need $50 more? And he goes, well, daddy, I got $50 here. Now that makes it $100. That means I can buy two hours of your time. Can I? And at that moment, the dad felt, well, you can see how he would feel. Any, any dad who, who's worth something, that should hit him in the heart, right? It should say that the kid's been starving for his time, and the kid is just wanting to buy two hours of his time. Two hours that his dad hasn't had for him. But it takes time. <clears throat> we, we have to be careful as parents 
But we don't replace business with the ministry for teaching. Or the other way around. We don't we, we don't let our business of work get in the way of the ministry of teaching our children. And sometimes we get caught up in that, especially as fathers. Um, I remember a while ago, I don't know who taught me this, when our kids were small or younger, you know, I think Pastor had alluded to this as well, you know, you tell your kids your problems, and hey, we're going to go do something. And we don't realize how much young people look forward to that. You may say, hey, I'm going to go do something on Saturday, and it may just be Monday, right? And to us, we just say that in passing. It doesn't really mean that much, but to young people, it means a lot to them. And they look forward to it all week. And then when we, when Saturday or Friday night comes, we tell the kids, oh, we're not going to do that. And it's a letdown to them. And uh, we don't keep our promise uh, to what we said to us. It's not a big deal, but to them, it's huge. And uh, we have to be careful of doing that. If we, if we promise them that we're going to do something, that we should do it. And that was something that always stuck in my mind. And so whenever I, I would break a promise, that would hit me uh, where it hurts. <clears throat> So, but don't replace the ministry of teaching our children with our work, whatever we do. The children of great Christian parents are often neglected because the parents are so busy doing the quote-unquote the will of God that they tend to neglect their family responsibilities. You know, you, you can be uh, so busy with ministries outside the home that you can overlook the importance of serving the Lord in your home. Um, I remember this too, and it's true. Um, as a young uh, Christian, pastors tell me, you know, sometimes we get this backwards. We put, and I'm not minimizing our responsibility to the church, but they put the church, we, we put the church before our family. It's the other way around, family, then the church. <clears throat> <clears throat> and what do they what, what do they say? Our churches are only as strong as our families are in the church. <clears throat> so <clears throat> we are responsible for teaching them. Um, the word diligent, if you look at that in, in verse 7, it says <clears throat> that thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. The word diligent is the Hebrew word shaman which also translate to the English word to inculcate, a word that we don't use very often, to inculcate. It means to implant, to implant by repeated statement or admonition, to teach and impress persistently and earnestly. And I highlighted that word implant because that's what we have to do with the word of God is to implant. Into the, into the lives of our kids. As I said earlier, it is has to be, the Word of God has to be what governs them. They have to embrace the Word of God as their own. And so I ask the young people today, are you embracing God's Word for your own? Do you know what it means that this, this philosophy, this, 
The, the word of God is my own. I embrace it. I believe that this is what I am going to stand on. This is the foundation for my life. And it's just not my parents. Because if you don't do that now, you will struggle when you get exposed in a culture that we have today. You will be easily conformed to this world because Satan is good at what he does. And he uses all of these things around us in our culture to conform you. To conform you not into the image of God, but into what he wants to conform you into. <clears throat> our trail children, you, we have to embrace. You have to embrace God's word and love God uh, for themselves. I, I heard somebody say um, a while ago, he said, our, if I can remember it correctly, we need to love God's command and desire his promises. We need to teach them to love his commands. So our, do our children love his commands? Children, do you love his commands? Are you there? That's a challenge for you. Love his commands. His commands gotta be your own principles. It's got to be what you go back to or you go to when you are facing some decisions in your life and all of these things that will confront you as you live in the world. <clears throat> so why be diligent? One, because God's word is true. The philosophies of our culture are hammering, hammering away at our homes and our churches with deadly effect today. Not just our, the homes of Christian uh, Christians, um, just in society, young children. You're hearing the news, you're seeing what's going on today. You know, some of you guys know my wife works over at Behavioral Unit in, 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 uh, in, in McKinney. Just some of the things that are going on uh, over there, the, 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 the stuff, the crazy stuff coming out of the minds of young people and they're getting younger and younger every year it seems like just some crazy stuff that the kids minds are being filled with where are they getting that getting it that's their minds are being filled with the things of this world and satan is using that to ruin the young people in our society today Today's philosophies are ever-changing. The mindset that, are, that there is no moral absolute is prevalent in our society. There's no right or, or wrong. And the world is more than happy to saturate the children's mind with his philosophy. And it's doing it 24-7 uh, through media, social media, schools, universities, and military. I mentioned earlier all these isms, right? Transgenderism, wokeism, and all this... This is kind of uh, uh, unorthodox here, but I want to read to you what I read. I just read this yesterday. I don't. How many of you guys have heard of a guy by the name of Neil deGrasse Tyson? Neil deGrasse Tyson. So some of you have heard of him. He's an anthropologist. This is. These are the kind of people that are, young people are exposed to through social media and other mediums and different platforms today. 
And if they're not grounded in the word of truth that I've been talking about, what Deuteronomy says, that you should teach them diligently, they're, they're exposed to people like this guy. And if they're not grounded in the word of God, they have no chance. Listen to what he says here. I'm just going to quote some of these things. Astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson was confronted on his support for gender ideology concepts, including that biological males who identify as transgender should be able to compete in women's sports in some circumstances. Tyson discussed transgenderism on uh, whatever platform that is, a free speech YouTube show run by a British satirist uh, and uh, by the name of Kissin. Kissin pressed Tyson on a criticism posed by the idea of biological males competing on uh, women's teams. At one point, Tyson spoke in an elevated tone appearing to state that the entire sports infrastructure should be reconsidered to ensure inclusion and fairness for all. He goes on to say, one of our functions over time has been to communicate, listen, this is such smooth, coming from somebody, an astrophysicist, you know, somebody with credibility. How do you battle against people like this? You battle it with the word of God, but if that word of God is not ingrained in the hearts of our kids, they're going to get hammered. I know because I have a family member that is going through this, and it's ruining the family. Kissin was referring to Tyson stating on TikTok that the XX and XY chromosome are insufficient because when we wake up in the morning, listen to this, this is the philosophies of the world that's infiltrating every aspect of our society. He says the XX and XY chromosomes are insufficient because when we wake up in the morning, we exaggerate whatever feature we want to portray the gender of our choice. Suppose no matter my chromosomes today, I feel 80% female, 20% males. Now I'm going to uh, now I'm going to I'm going to put on makeup tomorrow. I might feel 80% male. I'll remove the makeup and I'll wear the muscle shirt. The muscle shirt. What business is it of yours to require that I fulfill your inability to think of gender on a spectrum? This is the philosophies pervading, that's pervasive in our society today. Churches are not exempt from being infiltrated by this. The military has been infiltrated by this. I see emails about it every day just about. But for me, I keep telling some of the guys that I work with, I says, you gotta stand up for this. You can't just let and, and that's one of the things that led me to just get out. Maybe, you know, I should stay in, but I just couldn't. The stuff was just coming in. But I was, I was trying to be outspoken with some of these things uh, that's going on. And we need to do this. We need to teach our kids how to, how to deal with this mindset that they're going to be exposed to if they're not already exposed to. Right now, if they're exposed, they're living in your home. But what happens when they're outside of your home? How do you argue with somebody like this guy? During the show, Tyson said the bio biological differences between males and females in sports are a solvable problem for transgender inclusion. He said excluding biological males from women's teams, uh, Clark Blanche was an older 
older view of the world. In other words, Haggad's old view. In comes the new. What the trans conversation is pushing upon us is the need to find ways to slice the athletic universe such, as, such that we still have interesting fair matches, he said. And is it a combination of did you go through puberty as a male and then transition? Did you have puberty? This is, this is his <coughs> solution. Did you have puberty blockers? What is your homo level now if you want to compete? So it requires more creative, creative thought rather than saying no, uh, no to at all, he continued. I won't continue to read all of that, but do you see what I'm talking about? Do you see what's happening? That kind of talk is everywhere out there. Young people, it's out there. So when I challenge you, you better make sure the word of God that you're learning from home and from the church it is your own. You embrace it, that you are governed by it, because you will be swept off of your feet in a bad way. Don't play around with the Word of God. It has to be your own. So it is, in the secular schools, especially in universities, truth is no longer seen as an absolute that can be and should be pursued. Truth is what you make it, right or wrong, or what you perceive them to be. That's what the society has come to today. Situation ethic, what's right for the moment prevails when trying to find a course of moral action, since each event has its own set of circumstances. There are no measuring guidelines for a moral response. This all, of course, goes contrary to the Bible that, are, that there are absolutes because there is an eternal, unchangeable lawgiver who does not vary in his righteous demand. He doesn't change over time. He doesn't change because of the opinions of people today or tomorrow. Since the absolute has been removed from the, from the arena of human events, the world of reason has been turned upside down. If you didn't catch that from what I just read you from Mr. Tyson there, you need to wake up. Because he just told us, this is the new. This is the new way of thinking. But, let, let me read a couple of things. Um, I'm reading a book. It's not about what you feel about this guy. The writer of the book is Erwin uh, uh, Lutzer. Uh, I forget the title of the book. He's, he's, he's talking about all of these things that are going on today. Let me just read a couple of things here. Uh, the book he is called We Will Not Be Science. Today there are calls for Christians, he says. And those, these are all in quotes. Today there are calls for Christians to remake Christianity in more inclusive religion. So-called progressive Christians advance their cause under the banner of love and compassion. In the process, the hard truths of Christianity are either refined or ignored. He goes on, I see much of contemporary Christianity submitting to the culture in many, many areas of life, especially in matters of sexuality. The only way to make Christianity appealing, we are told, is to move the markers, to be more inclusive, more affirming. 
The only way micro, uh, um, I fear we are allowing culture to inform our thinking and even raise our children. We are no longer submissive to the whole counsel of God. Acts 20, verse 27. We think we must accept or acquiesce to culture in order to redeem it. He goes on to talk about sexuality in America. Take for take a moment to reflect on what has happened in America in the last 20 years. Consider the increasingly sexual explicit curriculum in a public school. Listen to the racial rhetoric of the self-appointed social justice warriors who are committed to inflaming racial division and look at the new laws forcing Christian colleges uh, to compromise their biblical stance about marriage and surrender to the LGBTQ agenda. He goes on to talk about the belief that men can bear children or drag queens would be allowed to read. Uh, it's unimaginable that drag queens would be allowed to read fairy tales in the public libraries. But yet they oppose, I can't remember that actor who's a Christian, he opposed him reading a children's book that are uh, biblical based. This kind of sexualized thinking and behavior is spreading rapidly in a nation obsessed with, with its overblown emphasis on the individual rights for a select few and at the expense of others. To merely question, to merely question the viewpoints of secular left radicals on social issues denounced as hateful, bigoted, and racist. We who are Christians are told that if we want to be known as good citizens, we should just keep our antiquated views to ourselves. And young people, when you go out in your world, you're going to be exposed to that. And you know what? It is, you're either going to be forced into silence or into shame to speak it, speaking out. We are made to feel embarrassed about defending traditional marriage and a, and a sane understanding of gender. We are caught like a deer in a headlight. We don't quite know what to do and whether we're willing to pay the price of fidelity to the scripture. We are shamed into silence. I'm not just talking young people, but adults, Christian adults. Is that not a reflection of what you see out there today? How about young people who work, brothers, sisters, Christ that work, uh, you know, in, 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 in the unsaved world? You hear the stuff going on? You hear the talks? There comes a time when you have to step, you know, you get entrenched there and speak out against it. Because when we remain silent, we just, they just roll over us. Uh, in, in my in my office, some of the guys like to kind of close the door when we start talking about. Says, "No, leave it open. Leave it open." I said, "What are they going to do? Find me? I'm retiring, you know." <laughs> uh, no, but I. They came to a point where I didn't really care. I didn't care what they said because I had to. I had to say something. I had to say something. I don't know much. But the things that I do know, do know, I knew I had to say something. So young people, I'm challenging you. Embrace the word of God. Amen. Make it yours. Amen. 
make it yours. That's what's going on today. But if you will diligently teach the word of God to your children, their security and knowing that values derived from the Bible are unchanging. The moral requirements by which Christians live today are the same yesterday and will be the same tomorrow because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. God's unchanging values are called biblical absolutes. They're absolutes. Don't ever let anybody outside the Christian world, the biblical world, tell you any different than that. They are the standards of right and wrong, good and evil, that do not change with society's moral whims. Because God's values are unchanging, he requires parents, and we should be compelled to diligently instill them uh, to our children and the next generation. There is no individual freedom to decide which values are correct. We don't get to decide that. That's decided for us in the word of God. God has already revealed them to us. Our job as parents is to diligently call right, wrong, good, and evil what God calls right, wrong, good, and evil. Parents today are more than willing to give their children the freedom of choice. You know, we don't have many, I never was involved in bus except for um, helping, you know, fill in from time to time. But, you know, we can't be like bus parents where they just, hey, you know, whatever the kids, if they feel like going today, fine. You know, I let them make their choice. Uh, if they want to follow Christianity, that's up to them. I'm not going to force them. You ever hear that? I'm not going to force them. You need, I'm not, I don't want to use the word force in the wrong way, but you need to compel them the word of God. It's your responsibility. You don't get that choice. God gave you that responsibility. God gave us all that responsibility. <clears throat> And then, let me just close with, with this. Number two, why, why be diligent? Because God's word is quite specific of what lies ahead. The people did evil in the sight of the Lord. That's why we need to be diligent. The people did evil in the sight of the Lord. That is the other option. So you can be diligent in teaching them, but if you don't teach them, they will serve the devil. They will do evil in the sight of the Lord. We're not prophets, but we don't need to, to be able to tell what the future holds for our next generation if we don't take responsibility of teaching our young children the word of God and teach them diligently. Following uh, God clearly states what happens when the